Chapter 1 The Real Christ And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1 verse 14 But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked 1 John chapter 2 verse 6 Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye have crucified both Lord and Christ Acts chapter 2 verse 36 My subject in this chapter is the real Christ taken from a series of sermons on this subject. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. We hear a great deal about Christ in our day. It is doubtful if there was ever an age before this in which men talked and wrote so much about Christ as today. We hear about Christ not only from thoroughly orthodox evangelical Christians, but we also hear about Christ from Roman Catholics. We hear about Christ from Unitarians. We hear about Christ from Theosophists. We hear about Christ from Christian Scientists. We hear about Christ from Spiritualists. We hear about Christ from some Buddhists. We hear about Christ from Baha'ists. And we hear about Christ from Socialists and Anarchists. We hear about Christ even from men and women who make no profession whatever of any religion of any sort. You see his name, his title, and his sign everywhere. But the Christ many tell about and urge upon men is not the real Christ. He is not the actual Christ Jesus who once walked this earth and whom men saw and studied and knew. The Christ who was the incarnate Word of God and whose glory men actually saw with their own eyes. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He is not the Christ who once lived and died and was raised again. The Christ many talk about is a pure figment of their own imagination, which they have substituted for the actual Christ of history, the Christ who once lived here on earth and who now lives in glory. He will come back some day to take the reins of government and save this wrecked and ruined human society of ours. He will make it what it ought to be. For example, the Christ of Christian scientists is not the real Christ. You sometimes think when you hear Christian scientists talk about Christ that they are talking about our Lord Jesus Christ, and that as they say they believe in the divinity of Christ, they mean that they believe in the deity of Christ. Not for one moment do they mean that. By Christ, they do not mean a definite person at all, any more than they mean a definite person when they speak about God they mean the Christ principle. The Christ of theosophy is not the real Christ. Even the Christ of Roman Catholicism is not the real Christ, even if in some measure he is. The Roman Catholics, when they speak about Christ, mean the Jesus who was crucified, has risen, and is coming again. They even mean a divine Jesus, but the picture they draw of him 
His character and his relationship to his virgin mother is very different from the picture God himself has drawn in this book. And the Christ pictured in many a Protestant pulpit is not the real Christ. The only place to see the real Christ, just as he was and is, is in this book. Today, many say that they believe in Christ, but not in the Christ of the Bible. But there is no other Christ than the Christ of the Bible. Any Christ other than the Christ of the Bible is a pure figment of the individual imagination, a mere idol substituted for a divine reality. Any Christ other than the biblical one is just as much an idol, though manufactured by man's brains, as an idol that men manufacture with their hands out of iron, silver, gold, wood, or stone. The real Christ is set forth in our first text. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1 verse 14. And He is set forth in our second text, Acts chapter 2 verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know assuredly that God hath made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom ye crucified. That man Jesus, who walked this earth two thousand years ago, who was God manifest in the flesh, he and he alone is the real Christ. And the whole book tells about him, not merely the four Gospels, but also the entire sixty-six books that make up the Bible. And in this chapter, we will study him as pictured in this book. I have said that the Bible is the only book that can help us truly know him, the real Christ. Let me add that the Holy Spirit is the only person who can enable us to understand Him as He is set forth in the Bible. God has drawn the picture of the real Christ in the Bible, and the Holy Spirit is God's interpreter of the picture. The work of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness of the real Christ, John chapter 15 verse 26, only as He testifies of Christ as He takes the picture given to us in the written Word of God and interprets it for us, can we come to know and understand the real Christ, Jesus Christ. We have a threefold objective in studying the real Christ. 1. That we may see Him in all His moral glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we may therefore admire and love and glorify Him as we ought. 2. That we may become like Him when we see Him, or, as the American Standard Version of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 puts it, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. 3. That in Him we may have a standard for our own conduct, or, as John puts it in our third text, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. The Ten Commandments are not the Christian's rule of life. The Christian has a far higher rule of life than the Ten Commandments. Jesus Christ himself is the Christian's rule of life. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Jesus Christ, the Holy One. 
we look at the Christ today in the most fundamental feature of his character. What do you think is the most fundamental attribute of the character of Jesus Christ? Holiness. We look at the Christ in this chapter as the Holy One. Holiness is the first and most preeminent characteristic of Jesus Christ that appears in the Word of God. As John puts it in our first text, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Now, holiness is the preeminent moral characteristic of God, and it is therefore also the preeminent characteristic of Jesus Christ. It is true, John says in 1 John chapter 4 verse 8, that God is love, but John had previously mentioned something else. He had revealed the deeper foundation on which he could build the statement, God is love, and that deeper something is found in 1 John chapter 1 verse 5. This, then, is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The whole object of the Old Testament revelation, which was to form the basis of the New Testament revelation, was to teach, enlighten, and burn into the Jewish consciousness one great fundamental truth, namely, God is holy. Holiness was the fundamental, preeminent, moral attribute of God, and it is the fundamental, preeminent, moral attribute of the real Christ. Christ was loving? Yes. Christ was gentle and merciful? Yes. Christ was meek and humble and prayerful? Yes. We shall study all these attributes of Christ in their place. But Christ was, first of all, holy. He, too, was light, and in him there was no darkness at all. 1 John 1, verse 5 We shall divide the holiness of Christ into two categories, the fact of his holiness and how the holiness of Jesus Christ manifested itself. The Fact of the Holiness of the Real Christ We shall look first at the fact of the holiness of the real Christ, which is set forth in the Bible in many ways. Repetition of His Holiness The fact of Christ's holiness is clearly, directly, and definitely declared repeatedly. In Acts we read, For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel, were gathered together. By stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verse 27 and verse 30. Here, the holiness of Jesus is twice emphasized as the one completely descriptive moral attribute of Christ Jesus. In Mark we read, An unclean spirit cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Mark chapter 1, verses 23 through 24. Here a demon, a being of superior intelligence but inferior character, is compelled to declare the truth that Jesus was not only holy, but that he was also the Holy One of God. Again in Acts we read, But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. Acts chapter 3 verse 14. Here the Apostle Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, 
declares Jesus to be the Holy One. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 says, But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. The Holy One here, as is evident from a careful study of the passage, is Jesus Christ, and again an inspired apostle declares him to be the Holy One. Putting these passages together, it is evident that Jesus Christ was holy, absolutely holy, like the Jehovah of the Old Testament, the Holy One. In the Old Testament, Jehovah God is called the Holy One. Consider the book of Isaiah alone, and we find that Isaiah declares Jehovah to be the Holy One of Israel no less than thirty times. But when the Christ appeared in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, when Jehovah became flesh and tabernacled in the person of Jesus Christ, it was He who was set forth as the Holy One. Holy means absolutely free from moral defilement or defect. To say that Jesus Christ is the Holy One, absolutely holy, is to say that Jesus Christ is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. 1 John 1, verse 5. And Jesus Christ did not hesitate to say of Himself, I am the light of the world. He that followeth Me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. John 8, verse 12. Repetition of Words and Phrases the fact that Jesus Christ was holy, absolutely holy, is brought out in the Bible by the way in which the Bible repeats words, phrases, and figures to produce an adequate impression of the absolute holiness or moral purity of Christ. For example, we read, For such a high priest became us holy, guileless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish unto God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. Note how the Holy Spirit, through these various inspired men, piles up figures and phrases to produce in our minds something like an adequate impression of the immaculate and absolute and infinite holiness of Jesus Christ. Truly we do behold His glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The dazzling white light that transformed and glorified the face and very garments of Jesus on Mount Tabor was only a faint image of the moral glory of His infinite holiness that shone within. And yet many, in the face of all this, dare to compare their own holiness with the holiness of Jesus Christ and say that they have already attained unto all the fullness there is in Him. When I look at Him in His infinite holiness, 
I wished to do what Isaiah did when he saw also the Lord, high and lifted up, and heard the seraphim cry in his presence, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. I wished to cover my face and cry, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1, 3, and 5. I cannot but do what Job did when he no longer merely heard of God by the hearing of the ear, but his eyes also saw him. I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job chapter 42, verse 6. How the Holiness of Jesus Christ Manifests Itself Now let us look at how the holiness of the real Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, manifested itself in a love of righteousness. First of all, the holiness of Jesus Christ manifested itself in a love of righteousness and a hatred of iniquity. We read in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. It is not enough to love righteousness. Iniquity must be hated as well. On the other hand, it is not enough to hate iniquity. Righteousness must be loved as well. Some profess to love righteousness, but they do not seem to hate iniquity. They are strong in applauding right, but not equally strong in denouncing evil. Some also profess to hate sin, but they do not seem to love righteousness. They are strong in denouncing evil, but not equally strong in applauding right. The holiness of the real Christ, our Lord Jesus, was complete as well as spotless. He loved righteousness and hated iniquity. In deed and word. The holiness of Jesus Christ also manifested itself both in deed and word, negatively by his never sinning or speaking falsehood, positively by his always pleasing God and speaking the things that pleased God. For example, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 22. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. For I do always those things that please him. John chapter 8 verse 29. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. John chapter 12, verse 49. Note carefully two things. First, the holiness of Christ manifested itself not merely in his deeds, but also in his words. Many today who make great professions of holiness in their activities are very unholy in their communication. Second, note that the holiness of Christ did not merely manifest itself negatively in not doing or speaking wrong, but also positively in speaking and doing all that God desired, all that was right to do or speak. A full manifestation of holiness does not consist merely in doing nothing wrong, but also in doing all that is right and saying all that ought to be said. 
It is comparatively easy never to say what we ought not to say and never to do what we ought not to do. But the really hard thing is to always do the thing God would be pleased to have us do and always say the thing, everything, God would have us say. In Victory Over Sin The holiness of Christ was manifested in constant and never-failing victory over sin. This is brought out in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. The holiness of our Lord was not the mere negative innocence that results from being shielded from contact with evil, but it was also the positive holiness that meets evil and overcomes it. In His Uncompromising Standard The holiness of Jesus Christ manifested itself in demanding absolute perfection in His disciples and refusing any compromise with evil. This comes out in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. The whole Sermon on the Mount is an illustration of this same thing. Because Jesus Christ was infinitely holy, He could not be satisfied with anything less in you and me than perfect holiness. Some say, I wish He had set the standard lower, but I rejoice and glorify God that He set the standard as high as He did. If He had set the standard lower, He would not have been the real Christ, an absolutely holy Christ. In His Rebuke of Sinners In the fifth place, the holiness of Jesus Christ manifested itself in the stern and scathing rebuke of sinners. This we see repeatedly. For example, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Matthew chapter 23, verse 13. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. Jesus Christ disclosed the sin of the woman of Samaria in a similar unsparing way as we read. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. John chapter 4, verses 17 through 18. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Matthew chapter 23, verse 33. Why did our loving Lord rebuke sin so sternly, so scathingly, so mercilessly? Because he had to because of what He was, because He was holy, because He was light and in Him was no darkness at all. Oh yes, He was the meek and lowly Jesus, but not the meek and lowly Jesus as He is so often caricatured, looking on sin with indulgence and excuse and allowance. No, never. Repentant sinners He loved. Sin He hated and rebuked it sternly and scathingly, with words that shriveled as a hot fire. In His Sacrifice In the sixth place, the holiness of our Lord Jesus Christ manifested itself in His making the greatest sacrifice in His power 
to save others from the sin he hated to the righteousness he loved. We are told this over and over again. For example, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. 1 Peter 3, verse 18. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. We read again in a most remarkable passage in Philippians, who, existing in the form of God, counted not the being on an equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient even unto death, yea, the death of the cross. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6-8 through eight. The clear meaning of this is that in order to save men from the sin he hated to the righteousness he loved, he deliberately turned his back on equality with God, became a man, and submitted himself to the lowest disgrace and the worst suffering a man could endure. Who can fathom such holiness as that? Again, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, we read, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. A wonderful statement of the same great truth is found in the Old Testament in Isaiah's prophetic vision of the coming Christ. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah chapter 53 verses 5 through 6. Here was the crowning manifestation of the holiness of our Christ as he really was. He so hated sin and so loved righteousness that he was not only willing to die rather than to sin, but he was also willing to give up his divine glory and become a man. He was willing to die the death of a criminal, being rejected by man and separated from God, that others might not sin. He was willing to make any sacrifice to do away with sin, not in himself, but in others. Men look at the cross of Christ and say, See the love of God and the love of Christ. Yes, they are wonderfully set forth there. But look again at the cross of Jesus and see the holiness of Christ in his atoning death. He so hated sin and so loved righteousness that he made the matchless, marvelous, unfathomable sacrifice at the cross of shame in order to save not himself but other men and women from the sin he hated to the righteousness he loved. In Future Punishment for Sin The holiness of Jesus Christ will in the future manifest itself in the awful, irrevocable punishment of those who refuse to be separated from their sin. That is revealed repeatedly in the Scriptures. For example, we read those appalling words of our Lord, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, 
and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew chapter 25 verses 31 through 32 and verse 41. Again we read in Thessalonians, At the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven, with the angels of his power in flaming fire, rendering vengeance to them that know not God, and to them that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus, who shall suffer punishment, even eternal destruction from the face of the Lord and from the glory of his might. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 7 through 9. Why must men who will not forsake sin and receive the Savior perish forever? Because the real Christ is holy. He died to save men whom he loves from sin, which he hates. He stopped at no sacrifice to accomplish that. Language fails to describe the sacrifice he made. But if men themselves refuse to be separated from their sins, he leaves them to their self-chosen partnership and the doom which it involves. Men talk much of the holiness of God and the love of Jesus, but the real Jesus is just as holy as God, and God is just as loving as Jesus. In this and in everything else, Jesus and the Father are one. Let us remember then, in trying to picture the real Christ, that the real Christ is first of all holy. Until we have an adequate perception of His holiness, we can have no adequate perception of His love. In summary, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1 verse 14.